0: Well, welcome to Booth One, my friends, your best choice for the art of lively conversation about the arts and popular culture. Gary Zabinski, your host here, alongside my well-traveled and well-rested <laughs> friend, co-host Frank Taranja. Welcome back, Frank.
1: Thanks. I'm um, Well-traveled, not particularly well-rested.
0: Really? You didn't get any sleep on the boat?
1: Not a lot. I did a lot of things. I was gone for the entire month of December. Frank on took trips. a
0: slow boat to China
1: literally <laughs>
0: <laughs> you, you took a cruise to the far east to
1: the southeast asia yeah yeah, yeah. flew to singapore and then went from singapore to thailand bangkok how and was then, your
0: one night in bangkok you were it was pretty
1: fun it was pretty fun bangkok's pretty lively went to a night market there that was that was really wonderful but then from there went to saigon it's now called ho chi minh city and then went up to Huey, and then up to Hanoi, and then over to Hong Kong. Wow. Two weeks. Yeah, it was great. It was really... Very nice. Very eye-opening and fascinating. Did you
0: buy anything really interesting while you were there?
1: Yes, but I can't really mention on the air what it is, but I will <laughs> t- afterwards a couple of the things that I bought. Oh,
0: wait. I got to make a note of that. Uh, <laughs> was, ask Frank...
1: They sell very interesting things in About his in interesting
0: souvenirs. hmm Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I bought some regular souvenirs, too. And some of the souvenirs, when we are in Huey, I bought these... Four glasses bags, they were beautiful, and you could put your glasses or whatever in them, and they were hand-stitched with these figures on them, and they were four for a dollar.
0: An American dollar.
1: American dollar, yeah. I go, how much are these? Well, um, a dollar. I go, oh, for one? She goes, no, for four. Four. So it was Uh-oh. not very expensive.
0: That sounds souvenirs. fantastic. souvenirs, yeah, it
1: was great. Food on the ship was good? Oh, food on the ship was really good. But the food in the various cities was good because we took private tours. And so they took us to places where the locals ate. We went to a Thai restaurant. I had Thai food, which, of course, they call food. <laughs> um, and it was delicious. I mean, it was all wonderful, and they were all locals there. And the same thing in, in Vietnam, too. We had we had private. And, but I loved Saigon. Saigon is a gorgeous just gorgeous city. It was ruled by the French for a hundred years, and so Mm. it's all beautiful boulevards and tree-lined streets and all that.
0: Well, welcome back, and you're coming back at a really, really interesting time, Mm -hmm. and for an interesting episode. Let me tell Mm -hmm. you why. This is an all-theater episode, Frank. Yes, Uh, great. We've we've digressed into the Far East, but we're going back now to (laughs) Chicago Theater. We have two guests in the studio today. It's very crowded, and a photographer. If you hear some (laughs) clicking in the background, it's, it's... a photographer from the Chicago Tribune taking pictures of our studio in the live episode podcast recording that we're doing here with our guests. My first guest today is Mark Kelly. Mark has, well, it's not really a very good job. He oversees the $32 million and 75-plus employees of the city's Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events. You are the commissioner of DK's. Uh, Am I right?
2: Uh, Yes, the commish, (laughs) as my friends call me. Did they call you the (laughs) commish? Yes, they do. Yes.
0: (laughs) That means he runs the massive music and food festivals that draw throngs downtown to Chicago each summer, operates Millennium Park and the Cultural Center, administers grant programs in a sweeping range of performing and fine arts, and perhaps most important, he tries to influence the tone and tempo for the arts in a sprawling, culturally vibrant metropolis Megalopolis, I should say, called Chicago. Mark, welcome to the booth.
2: It's a pleasure to be here, Gary. It's great to
0: have you. You and I run into each other at the strangest places, usually at theaters, or a bar before the show, or after the show. Well, those don't sound like strange places. Bars and and theater are... They
1: go hand in hand. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Theater is home. And speaking of theater, another pillar of Chicago theater Mm -hmm. is with us today. Sandra Marquez. Hi, Sandra. Hi there. Sandra joined the Steppenwolf Ensemble in the spring of 2016. And she is an actress and director. Most recently, we saw your La Ruta yeah. uh, at Steppenwolf. It was
3: so fun seeing you guys there.
0: We had Isaac and Caden on this program, and it's only running till the twenty seventh of January now. Loved it. I, I, I particularly loved the direction of the show.
3: <laughs> That's I, a really great answer. Th- <laughs> th- thank,
0: you. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, th- the use of the space the use of music, just the shape of the show. It's just beautifully done, Sandra. I can't say enough about how much I enjoyed it.
3: Thank you. I had an amazing team.
0: Our producer was extremely impressed with the play.
1: Well, I was very impressed with the two we had on here from the show, the playwright and the actress. They were delightful, absolutely delightful. So if the show was anything like them.
0: Well, Sandra has uh, appeared in Mary Page Marlowe, the I'll say it, motherfucker with the hat. Got to say it because that's the title. (laughs) And The Roommate in the summer of 2018. We saw you in The Roommate as well. Another beautiful production, and you were... Super. Spot on, just superb. Thank Other you. credits at Steppenwolf include A Streetcar Named Desire, Sonia Flu, and One Arm, and you're a longtime member of Teatro Vista. That's right. Tell us a little bit about Teatro Vista. Yeah. Tell our listeners what that is.
3: Teatro Vista is the only equity Latino theater company in the Midwest, and we've been around f- since, well, the company started before I came to Chicago, and I came to Chicago in 95, so about five or six years before that, and then I joined the company after my first show there in 1996. The company has uh, primarily does works by uh, Latinx writers. And yeah, we've been an ensemble in, in the city of Chicago for, for quite a while.
0: She is a longtime member of Teatro Vista and directed *Fade*, *My Manana Comes*, uh, *Breakfast*, *Lunch*, and *Dinner*, and *Our Lady of the Underpass*, and has acted in numerous productions, including *A View from the Bridge*, for which you won a Joseph Jefferson Award. Yeah, wow. awesome. You know, you can't be on this program unless you either won a Joseph Jefferson <laughs> Award or you're a commissioner of yeah, something, <laughs> right. something, somewhere. You, you have to have those credits.
1: What role were you in *View from the Bridge*? I've directed that show. Oh, did you really? Yeah, yeah, yeah I were played. You yeah, B. I B. great role. Yeah. Great role.
3: Oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd been wanting to play that role for so long.
0: You're also on the theater faculty at Northwestern. What do you teach at Northwestern? I
3: teach acting and I teach a voice class to freshmen, and I've been there since 1995.
0: A voice class to freshmen. Yeah, I remember when I took voice class as a freshman <laughs> in college. <laughs> I was so terrible. <laughs> I well, think I think the I teacher think was going to retire something. after after me because she just she just couldn't take it. anymore.
3: <laughs> Look at you now.
0: Look at yeah. me now. Wow. Mark, I don't think I gave your job description the credit it deserves. You've been the commissioner now for what, a little over two years, there. two and a half years, two and a half years. What have been the biggest changes you've seen in the cultural landscape here in Chicago in your tenure there?
2: Well, I think the biggest idea that I've tried to bring to the cultural affairs is that we become less another presenter of culture in the city, and boy are we a presenter of culture. We, Our audience in D-Case is 25 million people, you wow. know, because we have Taste of Chicago and Millennium oh Park gosh. and Cultural Center, and so there's that, but I, I wanted us to be more how do we convene and support the cultural landscape, how do we take our assets and turn them into value for the cultural landscape. Because if you think about it, all the things we do, and that they're free, it sort of it educates the audience, love it when it's free. And that's not good for our cultural uh, right. Uh, right. Uh, <laughs> vitality. And and so I, I think that maybe the best example of that is we are now in the year of Chicago theater. So we, we are calling on the world to recognize the power of one of the Greatest. There, there's three great English-speaking theater capitals in the world. It's London, New York, and Chicago. We don't tend to think like that or use that language, but that's a fact. We're a different city. We're a different theater city. But the year, it's it's a partnership with the league. It's a partnership with all of the theaters. That's with the, the League, the league of Chicago Theaters. The League of Chicago yep. Theaters, mm-hmm. and we are just pulling out all the stops. A citywide civic celebration of the sector. The goal is that to be a Chicagoan, you go to theater. Right now, lots of people go to theater, but lots of people don't. And, and so to make it sort of part, to be a Chicagoan, think of that idea. To be a Chicagoan, you go to theater. And then to come to Chicago as a tourist, and you don't go see Chicago theater, then you leave in sackcloth. Um, because, <laughs> well, that's, but you, you don't go to New York. You you know you go to New York. You you, you, you go to Broadway, right? Chicago isn't Broadway. We're something different. We're, we're something very special. But you come here, and you go to the Chicago Theater, and it's a year-long celebration, convening, pushing. We're going to be tr- trying to push theater out. It's rich in its diversity on its stages, and the stories being told, but... It's surely not rich in where it's being told, and so we want to push theater into every part of the city, to the south, to the west side, and not just be more geographically centered on the north side. So, lots of yeah, plans. There and are ideas. Wow. what two hundred 250, 250, 50 plus professional theater. theater companies. Wrap your head around that. That's wow. amazing. Yeah, and just the, hard to believe. The, and so, think of sh- Chicago, and these the, every theater is nailing it, but because it's not broadway because it's not the west end it's it's both a gift and a curse the, you know the curse is we don't have the financial support and audience that those cities have but the blessing is the unbelievable theater community doing new work all the time everyone's encouraging and pushing each other and it's stunning and it's it's across the spectrum mm-hmm. Of of work, it's it's gutsy, it's innovative. Yeah,
0: we ha- we have probably more world premieres of shows, plays, and we musicals do. than anywhere else in the world. Yep, well, we a lot do. of that
3: has to do with the fact that, like in Chicago, you can you can still afford to fail, and in New York, mm-hmm. that's a whole different thing. So we're talking about the difference between theater for profit. And not-for-profit theater, and that's what's so alive here in Chicago. So people can afford to like band together and find their friends and say, "Hey, let's let's This is what we want to focus on in Chicago theater. This is this is our little niche in this amazing city. Yeah. you're
1: saying it may work, it may not, and that's okay, both that's ways. That's
3: okay. mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
0: The yeah. Uh, year of Chicago theater starts right now, 2019. <laughs> Uh, This is an initiative put in place by you, Mark, and uh, Mayor Rahm Emanuel. Mm -hmm. You did years of Chicago, of other things. You did a year of public art, which I think was, was that last year, 2018?
2: Two years ago. Two years ago. year of public art. So so I came in, um, my background, 32 years at Columbia College, and very much always thinking about how do you take art beyond the stage, the screen, the... The wall, how do you put it into the public realm? I was creator of the Wabash Arts Corridor, so those giant murals in the South Loop. The Artistic Director of Arts in the Dark, a giant mm. parade of, of Chicago's arts community. So when I came into D-Case, and they had already announced it was the, the year of public art, boy, did I see the potential power of that, grabbed it. We Actually, I was just driving up here and just saw one of the sculptures that was funded in the Year of Public Art that just was finished. We're dedicating it actually next Saturday, right on the lakefront in Rogers Park. But every single neighborhood in Chicago, we we brought a new public art installation. And then that just inspired us all that, hey, themes are a way to work and make things happen because otherwise it's just you're overwhelmed with the the tidal wave of possibility and, and everything going on so last year was the year of creative youth mm-hmm. so so many of our public art installations were artists working with youth and youth are creators themselves and the scene in Chicago is actually amazing of, of, of young people and louder than a bomb and Marwin and after school matters the list goes on so we convened this, this very fragile but lovely field because most of the organizations didn't necessarily connect to each other, tried to help them muscle up to be a sector, created the first ever Chicago Giant Youth Festival Millennium Park, Yaz Fest. Yaz yes, Fest, yes, um, right. So that work continues, and then it, it just became, you know, what's next? Well, let's really blow it out of the park. Let, let's take maybe with, with architecture and music, the creative forum that Chicago has been fundamentally important to the direction of, of of that field. let's let's celebrate it, let's make something happen.
0: Yeah, it's a phenomenally exciting year next week, uh, next week from when our listeners hear this program is actually Chicago Theater Week as well. You can get tickets for as little as $15 around town to oh, see cool. shows. Yeah. And that's going to go along with the uh, year in Chicago Theater. Some commitments and preliminary plans, and I'm reading this off of the press release back from September, Mark and Sandra. A theater activations and theater-themed film series throughout the summer at Millennium Park. What kind of films are you going to show this Year. what do you have you guys got down to the uh, nitty-gritty on that yet
2: Well, we're just about to so we're going to be partners with 13 different theater companies and then they're with us are going to pick a film that fits them they're how they think some of them are going to be very specific to Chicago to the work of that theater some of them are just going to be this film is how we think yeah and so that's going to be a lot of fun we're also going to have theater companies every week in residence in Millennium Park so you go into the park 20 million people and and theater is just sort of there and then and then the goal is to push you out in into all the theaters it's not mm-hmm. just to be there at Millennium Park enjoying it but you're inspired to go forth.
0: Some other preliminary plans include theater displays at Expo 72, which is the Hot Ticks booth, which is our sort of half-price ticket booth here in Chicago, and at the Cultural Center, and a marketing campaign for residents that leverages the new brand for Chicago theater. Tell me about this new brand for Chicago theater.
2: As great as Chicago theater is, there's never been any language that Describes theater and that pushes us out, and so in, inevitably we have 250 theater companies softly competing with each other for audience instead of all working together to build an audience. So, working with uh, scores of theater professionals, we Foot uh, FootCone and Belding came on is is um, taking on this project. We d- we developed as a marketing firm. The first, yeah, the first ever Chicago theater brand, and I will tell you when we um, unveiled it. To the Chicago theater community, two hundred and some theater professionals in a room, and people say yeah, that's a dangerous thing. You know, I was going to
0: say, and, and then to ask <laughs> not for too their... many ideas floating around <laughs> that room and or then opinions
2: then, yeah, to ask them to embrace a brand is, is like they, they, they froth at the mouth because you're you're going to steal my soul. You they, they can't that's so you know true. you can't I, they can't imagine there's going to be language that's going to represent them that they don't want to be sold. So the the main line it's not necessarily a marketing copy, but it's the brand, the fearless soul of Chicago. And I will tell you that entire room was That's me. The brand element's brave, provocative, awe-inspiring, welcome. And there's another that I can't remember to be named, a player to be named later. But (laughs) we are now going to push this out to the world. So Choose Chicago is going to be spending a huge major, the first ever campaign supporting Chicago theater. It's going to show up in the airports for the first time. It's going to show up in a karmic place for the first time it's now on the streets and you're starting to see it on the electronic billboards and we're we're, we're looking for every opportunity we're working with uh, the Chicago Public School system which has never had theater in its arts curriculum really wow yeah that's surprising but really that's that's actually the case there are some theater in some of the schools but it's not yeah. part of the curriculum wow mm. and so we're working with them to change that because oh, yeah. how, how how do we encourage citizens To believe that to be a citizen, I go to theater. But that's, Mm -hmm. of course, you'll never be totally successful in that. But that has to be the the attitude that we're bringing to this. Night out in the parks uh, next summer, it's going to be all centered on Chicago theater. Mm -hmm. So you go to Millennium Park Chicago Theater. You go out into the park Chicago theater. In the schools, you start to feel more the power of theater. We start to celebrate it. We start to put a spotlight on it. And we make it stronger. This is
3: giving me chills. (laughs) Is
2: is. it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: No, because, it's. I mean, as I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking, why haven't we done this before? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Overdue. It's
1: really
0: amazing. Yeah, Yeah. You're quoted as saying, to truly fall in love with Chicago, you must go to our theaters, Mark. This is where the city bears its fearless soul, much along the lines of what you just said. From joy to heartache and every feeling in between, Chicago theater tells stories that evoke big emotions. Would you agree with that, Sandra? Oh
3: my gosh, yes. This is fantastic. Yay! (laughs) No wonder you're the commish.
0: Speaking of big emotions, you're involved in something brand new uh, for yourself. Uh, just this last couple of weeks, you've been in rehearsal. Tell us about that. What are you rehearsing?
3: Right now, I'm rehearsing a Doll's House Part Two. Yeah, <laughs> Lucas Nath. Yeah, it's. Uh, oh my gosh, what an amazing play! What an amazing writer! Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's really something. And I'm such a I I. I believe it or not, I loved working on Ibsen when I was in grad school. So it's just really Uh, funny. Yeah, in fact, I did a Doll's House when I was in grad school. And for
0: our listeners who don't know this play, this takes place 17 years after, 15 15 15 years after a Doll's House. After Nora slams the door and yep. walks out on her husband and child, children, I children, guess, yeah. in Dolls House Part Two, there's a knock on the door, and guess who? I'm not giving anything Don't away. Tell it, ha- it happens like right in the first thirty seconds or so, but it's Dolls House Part Two, yeah. and you're playing Nora. Yes. Yeah. Oh my who gosh, else yeah. is in the cast with you?
3: Oh my gosh, it's an amazing cast. Yeah. Uh, Yasin Pankov is playing Torvald, and Celeste Cooper is playing Emmy and uh, Barbara Robertson is playing anne Oh, uh, yeah, so Barbara. it's an amazing cast. It and this really is at is.
0: Steppenwolf in the main theater, Steppenwolf, right?
3: Steppenwolf, yep, downstairs, and uh, my old friend Robin Witt is the director, and so it's really mm-hmm. fun. I, back in the day, we were both actors together, and so it's really fun to be working with her in this capacity.
1: When does it open?
3: We open February 10th.
1: Oh, so it's coming up. Yeah. Coming up, coming up.
0: Yeah, yeah. you open February 10th, and it runs through March uh, 17th. I think, think so. preview starts somewhere like the 31st of January, I believe. Probably, that yeah. sounds right. So there's an opportunity to see it very shortly after you hear this episode. Something else that's going to be happening with the Doll's House for the very first time at Steppenwolf, I understand, is there's going to be on stage. Audience seating is that, yeah. yeah? Does that freak oh, you out? Well, now, when I saw this play on Broadway, and Frank, you saw it on Broadway did, as well. I did. You yeah. saw it with Laurie Metcalf. I saw, I saw it, it with Jane White. White. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. There was not on-stage seating. It was just a no. Big but I was set. in the.
1: It was. It was kind of three-quarter round, and I was in the front row on the side, so I was the next best thing to being on stage. Yeah, we
0: were very close as well. What What do you think of this? This audience right there on stage with you.
3: It's a little scary, but it's also really exciting because it, it makes a lot of sense to me. When, when the set designer and Robin explained their concept, I was like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So that part of my brain is going, that's really great. And the actor part of my brain is going, oh my God, there's gonna be people right there. <laughs> and I don't wear my glasses on stage Oh. and I don't wear contact lenses. So kind of the whole thing has been that for my entire adult life, I can't really see an audience. So it's really great but now I'm going to see them. <laughs> so we're going to find out Yeah, if I can act. <laughs> we're going to find out if up, I can do this. Up close
0: acting. Up yeah. close. Yeah, you can't hide Seeing anything with that. I don't
3: know if I can see the people.
2: Maybe, uh, maybe the power of your craft is the fact that you couldn't see the audience. Probably. Well, Mark, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah.
3: Is it basically I'm a coward and now I'm being...
1: They're right there. Ooh, yeah.
0: yeah. I have one word for you. Television. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> oh, you've been on television. Yeah, you've been on a a Chicago Med a and uh, yes, a couple shows, of yeah. those shows uh, okay. around. Would you be interested in sitting on stage for a Dolls House Part Two, Mark? Is that um, is that the kind out. of experience that you're you look for? Yeah, something unusual, something.
3: That means everybody's just... looking at you, Mish. You know, the whole house can see the third. Maybe that's what he wants. <laughs> yeah. No, I,
2: I, I, no, I don't think they would be. They'd still be on. On the production, and but we just are closer to it, so yeah, yeah. Send me the tickets. (laughs) (laughs) All
3: right, you said it. You guys are witnesses.
0: City of Chicago Cultural Center Commish.
2: Yeah, just send them
0: the tickets. Mm -hmm. I have to talk to Frank for a moment here about a play that we just saw a couple of days ago at the Goodman Theater. We We haven't been to the Goodman in a while. Right. We saw a one-man show by Connor McPherson called Saint Nicholas. Why is it called St. Nicholas?
1: Because uh, it's all about Christmas and there are elves and... <laughs> no, not at all. Not at We're all. We're not
0: exactly sure why it's called St. Nicholas.
1: <laughs> there was no reference to Santa Claus or St. Nicholas or Saints or Nicholas. Have or either anything.
0: of you seen this show, St. Nicholas?
3: No, but it has...
0: It It has has my my dream from... Brendan Coyle is the star of the show. He played Mr. Bates on Downton Abbey, if there are Downton Abbey fans out there, and where aren't there Downton Abbey fans? True. And he's
1: quite wonderful. He he really is is good. It's just a one-man show. It's just him doing two acts.
0: He plays... This is fascinating, Mark. He plays a very disgruntled, cynical, alcoholic theater critic (laughs) in Dublin. (laughs) And he tells us during the first act all about... The plays that he goes to and why he hates them, and that yeah. he just pretty yeah. much hates everything. And then he goes to see this one play and he really doesn't like it. But at the bar afterwards, the cast shows up. And for some reason, he lies and says, everybody who knows anything about theater should see this show. And they believe him. And from there. Well, he's very
1: enamored with this one actress, which I think yes. was part of the motivation. Helen, who played Helen, Salome. Yes. She, yeah, it was Seven Veils of Salome or something was the show.
0: Well, then in the second half, the tone changes quite considerably. And it becomes... Well, it becomes really Connor McPherson-ish. A lot of supernatural, uh, weird...
1: Yeah, kind of based around his pursuit of this Ellen woman. But it leads him into bizarre...
0: Yeah, we won't give that away. Yeah,
1: no, there is bizarreness.
0: What did you think? Did you enjoy yourself? I did
1: enjoy myself. I I enjoyed watching him. I thought he was really good. In the first half, I was kind of confused as to where is this going and why am I listening to this? But then it pulls together in the second act, except for the title.
0: Yeah, we're still not sure about the St. Nicholas. Do you know what the St. Nicholas was referenced to? I'm asking our producer because she saw it with us. No, she does not. (laughs) Yeah, it came from the Donmar Warehouse. I'm going to have to write to the uh, dramaturg and find out why it's called that. It's only a three-week run. It closes on the 27th of January, as does La Ruta. So if you're hearing this for the first time, listeners, you're not going to have very many days in order to see La Ruta at Steppenwolf or uh, St. Nicholas. At the Goodman, but if you if you hurry, you can. They're um, both worth it. Definitely, both yeah. both worth it. Mm-hmm. I I recommend I recommend them both.
1: And if you know why it's called Saint Nicholas, please write and let <laughs> us know.
0: Mark, you mentioned earlier that you worked at Columbia College for many years. You were an educator, an academic administrator, and you were. Offered this job as DK's commissioner, sort of out of the blue. You, you did not go seeking this job, right?
2: No, I, I don't think this is a job for someone seeking it. It, <laughs> it, it, it has. It, it, I, I just got a phone call. You're on the short list. I, I surely knew the the power of the position, and and I acted coy for I don't know three four seconds, and then <laughs> said, uh, "Hell yeah, I'm interested in this job." And you know a couple of months later uh, a wild interview with uh mayor Emanuel. and when i went into it i said look i'm not going i'm not selling myself i'm just who i am and and i have ideas and thoughts about what could happen and i'm going to go in and just share those and it was a great conversation and all of a sudden you know the guy who thought he was going to die with his boots on at columbia college and was ready to, wanted to do that um <laughs> you were there how long 32 years oh, wow oh
0: God. So you had a whole career. And I didn't have a
2: resume. I had nothing. You know, when, you, when you're somewhere 32 years, you, you, you know, you're not, yeah, you're you're, I'm not even thinking about it. Yeah. And, and what a gift. this! I, I've tried to treat this position like it's, it's a gift. It's a gift to me. And then I, in turn, have to think about the gifts that we have to offer to the city. In the last 30 years, there's only been, what, three commissioners? Three commissioners. And you're the third. Lois Weisberg, Michelle Boone, and, and myself, and think about that, probably most commissioner jobs every two years, there's someone new. Because you
0: serve and, at the pleasure of the mayor, correct? Right, right. Yeah, And our, our mayor changes well, we <laughs> every once in a no while. We have who the next one's going to be. We're about going to change yeah. another mayor because yeah. uh, Rahm Emanuel is not running for re-election, correct. so we might have a whole new staff. Hopefully not. I'm. I, I think what you're doing there at the city, Mark, is... Astonishing. Absolutely phenomenal. You've taken the reins of what could be just the most miserable job because there's just so much going on. I imagine it's 24-7 in your head just thinking about the possibilities of what can happen in Chicago because you have so many resources and you have so much support behind you.
2: Yeah, but that's the fun too, right? Uh, and, and, And I get to, oh, Boy, it's hard work to go out at night and to attend another wonderful cultural event and then another <laughs> one. You know, it's I'm not at a spreadsheet. <laughs> I you know, I'm I'm getting to enjoy and be part of and lead and, and help shape the cultural landscape of of one of the great cultural capitals of the world. We are. We have our, our failings and our flailings, but but we're we are absolutely a cultural capital and I get to be deeply embedded in in, yeah. in that life. Yeah. So that's cool.
0: It is cool. Well, if you like what you hear on Booth One and you'd like to support us in bringing you the best in lively conversation about the arts and popular culture and fascinating guests like Commissioner Mark Kelly and actress and director Sandra Marquez, you can go to our website at www.booth-one.com. That's dash O-N-E, Frank. Correct. And click on the donate button. It's quick. It's easy. It's tax-deductible under our 501C3 status as a nonprofit entity. Any and all contributions would be greatly, greatly appreciated. Y- you should consider mark the year of Chicago podcasts for <laughs> <All> 2020.
1: <right. laughs> book
3: it. Yes. Yeah. That's, yeah.
1: yeah.
0: That's a great idea. We're yeah. so
1: photogenic. You can't miss.
2: <laughs> we'll ask every citizen. That he or she become a podcaster and we have three million podcasts (laughs) all thrown out into the stratosphere. (laughs) This would be
0: great. See, he's already running. He's I tossed the ball and he's He's already running running with it. it. He is. Sandra, let me ask you this: Our our listeners are, are often fascinated with our artistic people that we have on the show, and we have quite a lot of them. What's your earliest memory of the theater? How did you first gain interest mm. and access to a life in the theater? Was it always part of your childhood, or did you did you, did you come to it like many of us did? You know, we got cast in the Christmas pageant and fell in love with the stage.
3: <laughs> yeah, oh gosh, I, that's a great question. Um, the first thing I remember is being in first grade, and I, had, I was a sickly kid, so I had been absent for a couple of days, and Miss Davis, we were about to do the Christmas pageant, and I got back that day, and I remember her practicing with me on the piano, and I remember her saying, Sweetie, don't sing, just move your mouth.
0: <laughs> and... This I is Smith Davis, your first grade teacher. Sister, but it didn't hurt my feelings. <laughs> I
3: just thought, oh yeah, I don't sing. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> so yeah. And then I have certain memories later on of like kids getting cast. I remember we did Hansel and Gretel, and I remember Gretel being cast, and I remember thinking, She is not a good Gretel. <laughs> <laughs> I know she looks like Gretel, but she's not good.
0: Directing already. Yeah, uh-huh. maybe so. Uh-huh.
3: Maybe so. No, I, I think my earliest memories were thinking, this is something that I want to do. Yeah. But then there was a little detour.
0: Sure, there always is. And
3: I tried to join the convent when I was 19. Oh, no.
0: I did. Frank, you tried to join the convent. No, uh, was, no. Was not it, not no. It, that was something else. That's somebody else. I couldn't That's even, Sorry. I couldn't even be mind. a priest either. Yeah. They wouldn't yeah. let
1: me in either <laughs> thing.
0: So you were brought up Catholic. I was, yeah. Yeah? yeah. Uh, I'm still, a, I still As was I
3: I'm Catholic. I say I'm Catholic-ish with Buddhist tendencies.
0: Oh, oh there you go. Oh. Yeah. Uh, how did that road toward the convent go? Did you go... I got rejected. Fairly? Feral- <laughs> I got rejected. Really?
3: Yeah. And, I didn't know they could yeah. turn you down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, no, wow. Yes, but... Okay, here's how it happened, though. Sister Judy Moloski <laughs> said Fabulous. to me... All right. I said, I'm ready to join up. And she said... And I was 19, maybe 20. And she said, um, okay... Have you had a serious boyfriend? And I said, No. And she said, Okay, I need you to finish college and date. And I said, Well, I'm, I, I'd taken time off actually from college to hang out at the convent. And I said, Well, I intend to finish college. That's not a problem, but okay. So I did those things and I never went back.
0: <laughs> the dating got you, right?
3: It was probably more than that. But also, I think what it was is that I kept thinking being an actor didn't seem very noble. Mm. And it seemed like, you know, the nuns were amazing people, and I should do what they were doing. And they they were amazing. Yeah. And so um, all the work that they were doing, I, you know, you hear all these stories about nuns who hit you and slap you, and I didn't go to Catholic school, and I didn't have that experience. So my experiences were positive.
0: I did, and I did. <laughs> And I almost uh, joined the brotherhood. We really? I went to a Catholic oh. high school as well, and I was being highly recruited, Frank, as a really? as
1: a
2: Marist brother. Yeah. Wow. You know, I have a French name, but I was much. not raised
1: Catholic at uh. all, so this is all very foreign to me. Well,
2: I have to share. Uh, I went to Quigley South on the South Side. I, I actually was called by God. Oh. He, he then actually called later and said, "You're, you're, you're, you're out." <laughs> Remember that last uh, but, message? I left. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, at 14, I, I, I believed, I, I was called. Literally, you know, the light came down and... and you had
3: the experience.
2: I had the experience. And um, it's not quite that dramatic, but it was sort of, I was called. And then a couple of years they later, again, yeah. it, it all fell apart. <laughs> and that, that's it, that's it, kind it, of <laughs> what <laughs> happened
0: to me. I felt the calling, and then a couple of years later, I no longer felt the calling. I, and so I pursued a life in the theater.
1: I never felt any calling. I went right to the theater. So you did. I skipped all that you calling did. business. Yeah, no, yeah. no calling for me.
2: I think it's a loss to not have been called. <laughs> Maybe.
3: Well, I have to say, I still hear the nuns in my voice. Did you? I mean, in my head. And I where'd you grow voices. up? You said you came to Chicago. I grew Chicago. up in, in, in Central California. Oh, Fresno, okay. California. Oh, yep.
1: okay. Fresno. Yep.
0: Well, longtime listeners of this show will know that our podcast, Booth One, is named after the famous Booth One in the Ambassador East Hotel in the restaurant there. It was right inside the door. In fact, it still exists in a sort of a fashion. We have a picture of it on the back of, our, um, back of our business cards and whatnot. And it's where the uh, celebrities and well-known people of the day would come and sit to see and be seen. Mm-hmm. There was a phone on the table, and you'd have to pass by that table to go into the restaurant. Everybody, who's anybody, sat in Booth One at one point. I understand, Mark, that you have an interesting personal Booth One story that you'd like to share with us. Oh,
2: I do. I, I may be the only imposter who sat <laughs> at Booth One. You mean a non-celebrity? No, I well, they thought I was a celebrity. I don't, I don't think I've ever done anything quite like this. So it's 1977, I have a friend who's a waiter at the pumper room, and he's telling me every week about this celebrity, this movie star, musician, athlete, and I, I just was struck with, I'm I'm gonna get to booth one. How am how am I gonna get to booth one? Who can I be that I'm, I'm 26 years old that they're gonna believe that it's me? <laughs> well, that, that I am whoever I say I am, and it's gonna matter. And so I came up with Doug Kenny, who was the founder and one of the editors of the National Lampoon. So the National Lampoon at that time was like, at yeah. yeah, uh, the height, stuff. this irreverent, yeah. new, you know, snarky, but no one had a, a picture, right? No one, this is before the internet, right? And so I literally called and said, hi, I'm the publicist for the National Lampoon, and I just want you to know <laughs> that uh, Doug Kenny will be coming through and- could you take care of them? And so I went with my girlfriend. It was... <laughs> I, we we went and... Who did she pretend to be? Ethel Merman? <laughs> yeah. She was just Doug Kenny's girlfriend. <laughs> Doug <laughs> Kenny's <laughs> girlfriend. Okay. And they put us at booth one. The phone was there. It wasn't on the table, by the way. It was uh, on the booth. Sure. Uh, you know, we were nervous as all hell. I'm thinking, I better be funny, and I'm not that funny, but, but maybe it's okay because it's in, in a restaurant. The, I'm, I'm told, my waiter friend, the staff was gaga that, that the National Lampoon editor was coming, not, you know, oh, screw these movie stars, insufferables. This is, this is like our, our, our guy. And, and we pulled it off. I had enough sense that, of course, the, the meal was on them, and so I left a, a, a huge, lovely tip, because I had to take care of my, my friend, the waiter, and sure. others, and sure. we walked out of there, and no one ever knew the better. There, there was a postscript to this, so a couple of years later, tragically, you know, I don't know if you know Doug Kenny. he was, he was this amazing, tormented individual, amazing, amazingly talented and tormented, and he committed suicide and And it was on the front page of of the New York Times. My friend is still the waiter there oh. and and they're like, "Well, it does it, boy, he changed a lot in the these last couple of years because wow, um and he didn't seem like the type, and you know just like this conversation of everyone who thought they so I am uh, a booth one the imposter graduate. <laughs> I
3: think that's when you lost your calling. <laughs> I
2: think it is. <laughs> I think that's when God hung up. No, there. I think I think clearly God I unfriended <laughs> you that day.
0: That's amazing. That's a great story. Well, I'm curious: it were is. people did people glance over at you as they're coming in the restaurant? Did they look and and eyeball you up and down and to see who you were? You
2: know, I, I I don't think I even I don't have a, much of a memory because I think we were so nervous. That we weren't. We were afraid like we you could were going to get found sit out. Sit down and take it in, right? Like, yeah. let's wa- let's watch everyone. We're like, are they watching us? I think I think they know over there. Uh, are we okay? Did you know a joke? No, I don't know a joke. It, it was it was actually just pure relief when you walked when, out. When we walked out, that's and, a fantastic and your story. Friend,
1: your friend was able to keep a straight face through the whole thing. She was ready to die. She, I oh mean well, I, she, I was
2: scared. Oh. She was like, We're going so I mean, to your jail. Friend, your friend the Did waiter, it, I meant. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. He he just kept walking by. He wasn't working our table, but just a little glint in his eye, enjoying <laughs> the whole thing. And and think about it, I, I think I'm probably the only Imposter ever to get mm-hmm. as a celebrity mm-hmm. to booth one, and that's isn't that a claim it's to fame? very likely that is it, a it celebrity is. thing. It that is. is a <laughs> celib- Yeah, it makes if you a you celebrity. If you can claim
0: nothing else in your life, Commish, <laughs> you <laughs> can claim that. Well, it's a little early in the year, even though it's the year of Chicago theater. It's a little bit early in theater companies' schedules to announce their next seasons. But there is a whole half a season left for uh, uh, theater companies yeah. here in Chicago. And uh, our critic of the Chicago Tribune, Chris Jones. You know Chris Jones? I do. So you're familiar with yes. Chris Jones? He did put together a list of 10 shows that you should see this winter. Oh, now I don't think these may be the ten very best shows you're going to see, but they are highlights of some of the theater companies. Okay. I wanted to mention some of these. In Inspector Calls." This is oh. Stephen Daldry's massively successful 1992 National Theatre of Great Britain revival of J.B. Priestley's Edwardian detective thriller. This is going to be at the Shakespeare Theatre, Chicago Shakespeare uh. Theatre, on Navy Pier. That's going to be February 19th to March 10th.
1: I love that show. I saw it in New York when it won all those Tonys.
0: And you were speaking of Broadway earlier, Mark. Uh, we have a wonderful Broadway series here in Chicago. Absolutely. We frequently yeah. get first run out yeah, of town tryout yeah. musicals. Uh, mm-hmm. We've seen quite a few of them the uh, Cher recently. Show. The Share Show for instance, yeah. yeah. Dear Evan Hansen is coming this spring. Well, February to March 10th. And is
2: it true, Mark, that they've renamed the Oriental Theater the Niederlander Theater? They have. The, the sign hasn't changed yet, but I believe it's imminent. What are they going to do with that beautiful, well, Is it gorgeous Niederlander side? Oriental
1: or just like they went Cadillac Palace because they added the Cadillac? Are they going to add the Niederlander to I, Oriental? Actually, or? I, I,
2: I don't know the, the answer to that okay. um, because I was imagining they changed the marquee, but they, they, that would be insane, wouldn't it? It would
0: be like changing the Chicago right, Theater marquee. Right. Well, they're calling but it, it it's, the Niederlander but it's, it's Theater. Good. For yeah. February 12th to March 10th, Dear Evan Hansen, on stage in Chicago, four weeks only. His number three pick, A Doll's House, part two. Yeah. Ah. As the you pressure said, is on. Robin Witt's <laughs> direction of a string of storefront successes in Chicago has been superb, and she gets her chance at Steppenwolf this time around, with you, in fact, Sandra. So that's exciting. For colored girls who have considered suicide oh. when the rainbow is enough, that'll be down at the Court Theater from March 14th through April 14th. How to Catch Creation. Director Nigel Smith, whose 2018 work on Susan Laurie Park's Father Comes Home from the Wars, remember that play, that three-parter that was four hours long? He returns to town to helm the Chicago premiere of a play by Christina Anderson. This will be at the Goodman's Albert Theater from January 19th, so it will have opened already uh, by the time you hear this podcast until Mm -hmm. February 24th. Nina Simone, Four Women. That's going to be at Northlight. We have tickets for that, Mm. don't we? Mm. Fantastic. This is the title of a musical play that references famous Nina Simone song, First recorded in 1966, Wild is the Wind. Another play being done uh, around Chicago this uh, winter is On Clover Road. This is being done by the American Blues Theater. I love them. Gwendolyn Whiteside, who's the artistic director and a wonderful actress, and Philip Earl Johnson, they're going to star in this production of a noir-style thriller from the structurally savvy scribe Stephen Dietz. Oh, wow. Also uh, a favorite at Chicago theaters. The piece is all about, (laughs) this is fantastic, a desperate mother who fears she has lost her daughter to a cult and agrees to meet a, quote, deprogrammer in an isolated motel. (laughs) Oh, Why one would do that, I'm not sure, but <laughs> there you go. That does sound like a good Hilarity American Blues ensue. Theater, opening on February 1st and running through March 16th. Uh, the Producers, another Broadway show is Come coming. On. This will be at the Paramount Theater, however, in Aurora. It's going to be a local production, and after all these years, it's hard to beat that Mel Brooks screen-to-stage mm-hmm. masterpiece. And they do
1: great stuff out of Paramount. I've seen a lot of their shows. Yeah, wonderful they really stuff. Do.
0: They put a lot of money into they do. their stuff, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, a play called Red Rex the sixth play in Ike Holter's cycle of Chicago plays seen all over the city has the potential to hit comedically and maybe painfully close to home. In Holter's latest, a small theater company moves into an abandoned Chicago storefront with what they think will be a new hit show likely to make all their artistic careers. Mm. But there is a question about how much it truly reflects the community which everyone claims to serve. And I believe trouble ensues. Sounds like it. (laughs) January 19th through March 2nd. And finally, St. Nicholas. There you go. Is recommended. Again, that's running only through the 27th of January at Goodman's Owen Theater. Mark, I understand that you're a musician of sorts. Of sorts. You, you play
2: <laughs> percussion,
0: drums, drums, yeah. Do you play rock and roll drums, jazz drums, all the above?
2: I, I wish I was a jazz drummer, but I'm. Um, um, not good enough. Actually I, I way back when I played with Hal Russell, who was one of the most esteemed jazz artists in the city and sure. in the world, uh this freeform uh wizard, and and I, I have a quote and it's accurate. I was the worst percussionist ever to play with a world class jazz musician. Um but I, I brought it. I brought a sense of humor because he had he had this wild sound, very, very, very adventuresome sound. But he had a sense of humor, which was sort of unusual for that type of uh, work. And I brought some of the humor, just blips and blaps of, of <laughs> percussion. You have uh, some amazing distinctions in this city, I have to say. <laughs> actually, I was just down in, in playing drums this morning. I, I Drums give me great joy. I'm I'm drumming all the time. I'm probably lucky that I never had many lessons and became... Very good at drumming because mm-hmm. I'd be, wouldn't be the commish. I'd be some you know drummer in some forgotten band, and you know. Wouldn't well, be on when both this long. when this
0: second career is over, you could <laughs> <Maybe>. become <laughs> a professional drummer, and they could call you the commish.
2: Actually, I'm That's thinking true. I'm going to become a street musician, oh. right in front of the cultural center. Busker, there you go. good, yeah, yeah. Um, good. You know, bring bring my chops to the street or. You're not going to play
0: those white plastic buckets
2: are you that's <laughs> no cause it, actually, can you do they're, something they're, about those they're, by the way they're... They're, actually i i have to tell you i i admire and love them technically <laughs> they yes. are incredible true i just wish true. they had a producer that just helped them develop the spectrum their their the, the sound a little bit because mm-hmm. i think they're 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 artists uh we, you know they 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 can be grating because it's it's a it's sort of a shrill sound, and, and they're and it echoes in those canyons. Very present, but yeah. but I love them. I I'm, I'm actually in my office. I hear them every day. Most of my <laughs> other fellow staff are like, I can't take that, and to me, it's sort of sort of comforting. I love them too. <laughs> it definitely is a sound of Chicago,
0: isn't it? I I don't it think is. I've heard it. Have you ever heard it anywhere else, Sandra?
2: Even no, in New York, I Times Square, I don't,
0: I, I, did, no, I, don't, Square. I, don't I didn't see any plastic drummers. They make me happy <laughs> when I see them. <laughs> yeah. Do you play any instruments, Sandra? Are you a musician? Not anymore.
3: No, my mother made sure I had accordion lessons. Ah, I played the
0: accordion. <gasps> oh, my lessons. dad played uh-huh. the accordion. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I think yeah. my brother still has my dad's accordion I still somewhere have mine. locked up. Were you good?
1: I did get to play Lady of Spain in concert, <laughs> which is kind of the apex of accordion playing. That, that um, is right but up then in, there. That was in eighth grade, then when I went to high school, my parents said, if you want to quit, you can. I went, I quit. So I quit in eighth grade.
0: I'm surprised that you don't play a musical instrument because of all the music. That was in La Ruta and the development of that. Did that come out of Isaac and the play, or is that something that you as a director had a concept about adding the music into this piece? Because it was marvelous stuff. Yeah, and she was a great singer. Yeah,
3: isn't she amazing? <sighs> yeah, my friend Laura Crote. Well, actually when we first when when we first did a public reading of it like two years ago, I, I, I when I read the play, I said, Isaac, I I feel very strongly that my friend Laura Crota would be great to do this music. And he said, really? And I said, yeah, yeah, I think so. And so she was available and she did it. And then when he heard her, he said, oh, I'm going to add more music. I have to add more music. <laughs> so he added more be, be, because of her. And then I'm not a musician. I mean, I know a little tiny bit because I had piano lessons and I played clarinet and, and all that. But I don't, I'm don't. i not a musician. And so we just made sure that we had a really great music director and a really great vocal coach and i i said yeah we need a really good team to to push because for me it's really kind of incredible to see and to hear such beauty juxtaposed with the story itself mm-hmm. and so i'm interested yeah in that. i'm always yeah that.
0: that was that was a great contrast a very yeah. Very, very well done, well, I hope our listeners will get on the phone when they hear this program and and get their tickets to the final few performances of La Ruta because it's it, it's tremendous it's not to be missed. This is a question I ask our guests every once in a while. It's one that reveals quite a lot about people. If you could, and I'll ask you first, mark, uh, if you could do anything else in your life besides what you're doing and even your career at Columbia or being a drummer, is there something that you would have liked to have done or would like to do?
2: Oh, uh, it would be to be that great jazz drummer, oh, fantastic, who who has has the chops to be playing with the greatest musicians in the world and is equal to to every everyone on on that uh, stage. Yeah, that that would be. And you know what? I, I, and I'll keep working towards that. Never, never, no, know, knowing I'll never reach it. But I'm, I'm still in the studio, sort of thinking, you know, get, get, get this, you know, do, get a little better. No, know, knowing that's it's not even in in the cards. But that's what I I would be be that jazz drummer. Well, God mm-hmm. bless you. It's stuff yeah. like
0: that that keeps you young. doesn't it? It is.
2: Yeah.
0: How bad. about you, Sandra? Is there something if you hadn't? pursued a career or a life in the theater? Is there something you would have liked to have done, besides being a nun? <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh, which is not too late, you know.
0: That's true. It's never too it's late. Never too late. Yeah.
3: The first thing that, thought, that came to my mind when you asked that is, I thought, oh, I wish I'd been a doctor. And then I thought, oh, I wish I'd been a writer. Oh, I wish I'd been a journalist. I got a bunch of things yeah. that I would like to do. I hope it's not too late to do some of those other things. Not at all. I mean, not the doctor. That's too late. But, but you know, maybe, maybe I could still be a writer.
0: Writer, yeah. journalist. Yeah. yeah. Maybe.
3: Maybe. I don't know. Sure. The other thing is in my in my fantasy life, it would have been great to be a singer. I can't sing oh, at all, oh. and I just really <laughs> like listening to Lauda. I just you can't
0: sing, because no, you have such no, a beautiful voice, no, and your no, voice no, on well, stage you, is just no, gorgeous.
3: Hm. Not. I wish I were.
0: Uh oh, so you're not going to be in the producers. No. <laughs> it's Ms.
3: Davis's fault. It is Miss Davis's fault. She planted that she t- seed in my <laughs> head and it never came out. That's right.
0: <laughs> Mark and Sandra, we always end our podcast episodes with a segment we call The Kiss of Death. Don't get nervous. This is a celebration of someone that we've just lost. They could be famous, not famous. Someone who contributed quite a bit to our especially cultural landscape, maybe not just in Chicago, but elsewhere. And Frank, this is a first, and I hope it's a last. Uh This is uh, about someone who was a guest on our podcast on episode 34 back in, I think it was May of 2016, Mark Hauser, photographer. Chicagoans may or may not recognize the name of photographer Mark Hauser, but if they have lived here for any amount of time they surely have seen his work Every Chicago publication of the last five decades showcased his photos, as did many national magazines, whether it was cover shots of a movie star or the daily Marshall Fields ads that were once the mainstay of Chicago's newspapers. Hmm. Marshall Fields, now, of course, Macy's. Hmm. uh, Marshall Fields was uh, a client of his for many, many years. Hauser's photos of former Bulls star Dennis Rodman. Remember Dennis Rodman?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Who can forget Dennis Rodman?
0: (laughs) And his ever-changing hairdo were the basis for the traffic stopping Bigsby and Cruthers billboard along the Kennedy Expressway mm. you're nodding oh, Sandra yeah, that. <laughs> that used to cause that used to cause such gapers block every time they changed that Dennis Rodman photo his haunting picture of John Mellencamp provided the memorable cover for the musician's 1985 album Scarecrow Mark has left us with a deep void that will be hard to fill His strong spirit, his laughter, and stories will remain with us forever, just like his legacy and impact on the photo community. He never fully recovered from a work accident in the early 2000s when he was seriously injured after a crane collapsed while he was suspended in the air shooting photos on a golf course. Hauser eventually lost the use of one eye, terrible for a photographer, and had his leg amputated. Mm. Uh, When we interviewed him, he was in a wheelchair, but very active and very lively. Mm. <laughs> it was really a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. We went to his studio to do, uh-huh. the, to do the recording. We didn't have him over here. Portraits were Hauser's specialty, in particular his celebrity portraits of music, film, and sports stars. Sophia Loren, Woody Allen, Michael Jordan, Cindy Crawford, John Belushi, Dolly Parton, Eric Clapton, Mick Jagger, and Oprah were just a few wow. of the names he could drop when discussing his famous subjects and he did drop quite a few names <laughs> during during our chat. In twenty sixteen, Hauser told the podcast Booth One, Hey, I know them <laughs> yeah. that Sophia Loren treated him to a back massage with her long nails during a break in one photo shoot. Oh that was a hilarious story. We need to have her on. This is excerpted, by the way, from uh, Mark Brown's uh, column in the Sun-Times about Mark Hauser. Hauser grew up in Wilmette, just north of here, right. and attended Neutcher High School. His father was a photo hobbyist with a darkroom in their basement. Hauser got his first camera at age 13 and discovered he had a talent for it. The local newspaper hired him to take photos, an assignment that included rock concerts at Ravinia Park. He parlayed that into an apprenticeship at age, get this, at age 14 with a contributing photographer for Playboy magazine. Oh, really? Yeah, which soon led to his own assignments and he he developed his own distinctive style. Hauser's work and larger-than-life character made him a well-known personality in his own right in Chicago's arts community, especially when he was flying high during the 1980s and 1990s. But health problems and changes in the photography business left him without most of his big. Paying <laughs> clients in recent years. Despite those setbacks, Hauser continued working instead of celebrities. He kept busy with portraits of regular Chicagoans and their families, often finding his customers through special deals advertised in Groupon. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. For wow. like $150, wow. you go to his studio and get professional photographs oh. made. I think that was very savvy of him to do that, that part of his career. I just love taking pictures. That's what's keeping me alive, Hauser told the Booth One podcast. There's that name again. (laughs) Tributes to Hauser from his photo colleagues and subjects poured into his Facebook page as words spread of his death, painting a portrait of a complicated individual who many considered a mentor. He was uncouth. Reckless, strange, hilarious, and in every way the quintessential artist," said photographer Genevieve Lorraine, who spent two years working and living with Hauser in his Bucktown studio. David Leonardis, who operates a Wicker Park gallery, hosted a show on January 11th and 12th to celebrate Hauser's life featuring his own collection of 70 Hauser photographs. I imagine there will be quite a few subsequent gallery tributes to Mark in the coming months. Mark Hauser, photographer who shot famous Chicagoans and celebs. He was 66. Oh. Wonderful man. And one of the great Chicago characters. Did you know him at all, Mark? Or are you familiar with his I, work? I
2: I actually brought him to Columbia to speak to the students, and it was hilarious because he was not cautious. He was, you know, he wasn't the, you know, good advice guy. He was, it was more this sort of brawling character. Yeah. Of, you know, a bigger-than-life personality. Kind of a burly
0: guy, and, big burly and, you guy.
2: You know, sort of threatening the students, like, don't you even dare go into this unless you're gonna. You know, give it your all and more, yeah. and it was very memorable. And what it was, he was such a lovable but let wild character.
0: <laughs> He's like a Sandra. He was like a live teddy bear. If oh, <laughs> you can imagine, wow. <laughs> so you got to be a little careful, but you want to hug him anyway. I yeah, met him. yeah, an no, awesome guy, too. an awesome yeah. guy. Thank you Mark and Sandra for being our guests mm. today. We so appreciate you taking the time to sit in the booth with us uh, again. You're in booth 1. And this time you <laughs> appeared at like yourself, Mark. It. Yeah. Feel, Legit. <laughs> Feel comfortable this time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and <laughs> when, when do we eat? You're not pretending to be anybody. <laughs> Where's the phone? <laughs> <laughs> Sandra, thank you so much for taking time out. I know you had rehearsal today. Uh, Best of luck with Doll's yes. House Part 2.
1: We will be there. It's going to be
0: fantastic. Yes. Visit us at www.booth-one.com. That's dash O-N-E dot for prior episodes and more information about our program. For Booth One, this is Gary Zabinsky
1: And Frank Taranjo.
0: Saying so long and keep listening. Mm-hmm.